0: Well, we have been looking at the book of Colossians for the last few months, and we're going to wrap up Colossians today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me over to Colossians chapter 4. And as you do, I um, want to draw your attention back to earlier in the book and just kind of think through with you what we've seen in Colossians so far. Uh, what we've seen so far is that is Jesus Christ presented in his full-orbed glory as the sin-bearing, resurrected, triumphant, and fully equal with the Father, Son of God. And because that is the Jesus that we believe in and worship, then Paul's exhortation to us as The God's people, is to follow Jesus with our whole selves, our whole hearts, our whole lives, our whole minds, to submit to Him in every part of our lives, leaving nothing out and zero portions of our life and heart and mind which are not transformed. The calling of a Christian's life, men and women, is not to moralism. It is not to uh, checking off a list of things that you should do and avoiding things that you should not do, and trying to be a good person on your way to heaven. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is one of being transformed by the gospel into a person who loves Jesus Christ and who follows Him because of your joy at that transformation. And, And He does, by His Holy Spirit, transform you into a good person, but as a side effect of relationship with Him, not as the goal of the relationship. The goal is that you would love and follow and serve Him and that these things would overflow not only into your life, but out of your life through the same gospel into other people's lives. That they might experience the same kind of radical, personal transformation that you have experienced and enjoyed. And and so in Colossians, we see Jesus in all of His glory and we see the Gospel clearly presented. And then we see Paul in the second half of the book talk about what it means to live a fully Christian life. A fully Christian life. A, a, A life in which there are zero portions of it. Where Jesus does not reign. Where He does not transform and change how we are at a very fundamental level. And so we, we've we seen the transformation that Jesus wants to bring into our hearts and heads and into our behavior. We've seen the transformation that Jesus brings uh, into our homes and into our relationships with the people who are closest to us in our own families. We've seen the transformation that Jesus brings into the very worst of institutions things like slavery and into our relationships with non-Christians. That Jesus claims lordship over all of these things and seeks to bring transformation to us in all of these ways. But, as we come to the end of the book, there's one big, significant, important area that Paul has not addressed yet that Jesus brings transformation into, and it is into our relationships within the church. Into our relationships within the church. And so this morning, we're going to look at what it means to be fully Christian in the Christian community. Fully Christian with the other people of God. How do we live a fully Christian life with the other folks that we gather with as part of a local church? So I encourage you to open your Bible up to Colossians chapter 4 if you haven't got there yet. We're going to look at verses 7 down through verse 18. We're going to wrap up this book this week. Uh, And as you do, you need to understand that this section of the book uh, is one that gets skipped over basically by almost everybody who studies it because they think, well, I've already learned all the meat of the book on the parts to the left of this. But there's a lot of things that are here in this this closing section that give us examples of how to live out life in Christian community. In fact, there are six things that you want to see about Christian community in this letter that are vital and important and that show us how to live in Christian community with one another. And it's too important for us to miss it. So, Uh, Let's look at it together. Beginning verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hands. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, as I look at these verses again, what I see are six amazing essential ingredients to being fully Christian in community. And I believe that what we need here at Chillicothe Bible Church is all six of these essentials. And they are my prayer and my goal for us as a church that we would strive toward and see more and more these things reflected in our community life here as a church. Uh, if you look at uh, verses 7 and 8, Uh, what you'll see there is love and humble service. Uh, If you read those two verses, you're reading about a man named Tychicus. And the reason that Paul mentions him is that he is the person to whom Paul entrusted both this letter and the letter to Philemon. We'll look at Philemon next week because it ties right into this. Philemon is a member of the Colossian church. And this letter is written... That other letters written to him. But Tychicus is supposed to carry this letter back to the Colossians and give them an update on all that's happening with Paul as a way of encouraging them. Paul is in prison, and and they need news of what's going on with Paul and his ministry. And, and this is a pretty humble job, really, if you think about it. Uh, one commentator I read referred to Tychicus as Paul's errand boy. And I think that's a little bit demeaning, actually. Uh, But it is a very humble job. Make sure you carry this letter and Philemon back to the church in Colossae. But Paul doesn't see him in the way that maybe we see him. Paul sees this job as important. We know nothing about this man Tychicus other than what Paul says about him here in these two verses. It's the only place he's mentioned in the entire Bible. But look at how Paul describes him: beloved, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I don't, I don't know about you, but I take that description. If that appears on my epitaph, I'll have felt like I lived a good and God-honoring life. In fact, I take that description of me every day and twice on Sunday. This is a good and godly man. And what you see in these verses, as you look at them, is that love is essential to Christian community. And that should go without saying, but it doesn't go without saying. Paul calls this man beloved. He calls uh, Onesimus beloved. He calls Luke, his 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 friend, the doctor who travels with him, beloved. Why three times in a passage he refers to someone as beloved? Uh, why? Because love. Is part of community. Love is part of the relationships that Paul enjoys. Paul is not just being polite when he's talking about this guy. And Paul is in prison, so he can't send, he can't go himself and carry his own letter, or he can't even just go and not send a letter, uh, which would have been more convenient, right? Rather than have to write it all down, let me just tell you when I get there what's been going on. Paul. T- Sends Tychicus because he loved him. And he says, well, I can't be there myself to give you a hug, but I'll do the next best thing. I'll send a man that I love to you. And the second thing that I think is really important that we see in these verses is humble service is eternally significant service. Eternally significant As I said, we don't know anything else about Tychicus except for these two verses, what these two verses tell us about him. But again, I'd take this description any time. What Tychicus does doesn't look like it has eternal and lasting value. But forever into eternity, His name is going to be written in the Scripture. I bet most of you, if I gave you a test, couldn't name three Roman emperors. And these guys were all more famous in their day than Tychicus. But 2,000 years later, we're still reading about Him. And that ought to give you and I great encouragement. Because what it tells us is that God sees little things done for him and he honors them. Remember what Jesus said about that? He said he said if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will not fail to receive your reward. And Titricus is honored even 2,000 years later because of his humble service. And so don't think, men and women, that if you're a faithful servant of the Lord, even in a small way, in a small place like Chillicothe, Illinois, one that most people even in this state could not find on a map. That God doesn't see you too. He does. He sees you. He sees your love and your humble service. And it's an essential part of Christian community. God sees and He will not forget you. The next thing you see is also an essential ingredient of fully Christian community. You see new birth. You see a man reborn. Uh, In verse 9 you meet another man. His name is Onesimus. And this is a man that we know quite a bit about actually. Because he is the subject at the center of the book of Philemon. You need to understand that Philemon was a new Christian who was also a slave owner. And uh, he owned Onesimus. And Onesimus... uh, decided one day that he had had enough of being a slave, and so he stole some things from his master and made his way to Rome. Now, by the way, running away from your master and stealing from your master were both considered capital crimes in the Roman Empire. So this is a man with a price on his head, a man who can be put to death for what he has done, but he winds up meeting the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul leads him to faith in Jesus Christ. And there has been a transformation in this man. In fact, Paul is going to write this letter of Philemon back to Philemon to tell Philemon essentially this. And we're going to look at it next week, so I don't want to spoil, steal my own thunder too much. But Paul is going to tell Philemon, you know, you've been set free from slavery to sin and death. And now Philemon, Philemon, you need to understand, Onesimus is your brother who's also been set free from sin and death. You should set him free from slavery along with it. That's what the book is about. And this man has been transformed from a criminal into a Christian. From being a thief and a runaway slave into a faithful and beloved brother. And he's an example of just exactly the kind of transformation that is meant to occur within the the church of Jesus Christ. New birth. New life. That people of varied backgrounds, some of them with checkered pasts, you know, I have a pretty vanilla testimony as it goes, uh, some of you all have rocky road all right and I, and that is a great thing that is a great thing but the, the important thing is this that God brings new birth to all kinds of people slaves slave owners ordinary sinners people who grew up in the church like me People who wouldn't walk within 100 miles of a church if they could avoid it. He saved them too. And He brings them into Christian community. And when Christian community is functioning in the right way, new birth is going to be the result for some people. And it's what's happened here. If it hasn't happened to you yet, by the way, it can. It can. All you have to do is turn your life over to Jesus Christ and then you will find rebirth and a new start and a new life in Jesus Christ. The next thing you see in verses 10 and 11, this is a third essential ingredient, is transcendent fellowship. And it's transcendent in at least three ways. It's transcendent, first of all, uh, in that it transcends the circumstances that you're in. You meet this man Aristarchus in these verses. Aristarchus, what is he? He's a fellow prisoner with Paul. He's a guy who's also in jail, who is also a Christian. And yet Paul counts him among his friends and ministry partners. Why? Because the fellowship of Jesus Christ is not dependent on where you're located or what your circumstances are. And so you can be part of the fellowship in the community of God even if you're in prison. And by the way, there are many, many brothers and sisters in prison at this point. If you want to hear some of their stories, you ought to talk to Brother Mark Summers who sends Bibles into the prisons all over the country. Federal and state prisons. And there are Bible studies in the prisons because of Bibles that our church has sent in there. In places like Aliceville. Alabama and El Paso, Texas and Pontiac, Illinois. There's all kinds of people who are our brothers and sisters because our fellowship transcends our circumstances. And also transcends racial and ethnic divisions. Real Christian community is meant to be transcendent over racial and ethnic divisions that might be there. You meet three people, Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus who is called Justice to to distinguish Him from Jesus, the Messiah. Because Jesus is just the Greek form of the word Joshua. It's a common Jewish name. And so they want to specify which one they mean. And these three guys are Paul's fellow Jews. Everyone else mentioned in this letter is a Gentile. Whether you're talking about uh, whether you're talking about Nympha, or the church at Laodicea, or the church at Hierapolis, or Demas, or Luke, or Archippus, or Onesimus, or Tychicus, all these people are Gentiles. Paul's background as a Jew, and particularly as a Jewish Pharisee, meant that these people would not ordinarily be his friends. And yet, they were. Why? Because the gospel transcends. The gospel overflows all of these barriers and divisions that might be there otherwise. The gospel is meant to go out into the whole world to people of every tribe, of every nation, of every ethnicity, of every skin color, of every, uh, of every gender, of every sex, of every type of person that exists on the planet. The gospel is meant to go to them and they are meant to be part of the fellowship of the people of God, because the gospel produces a transcendent fellowship. And the gospel even even transcends personal conflicts. Do you see that? You may not if you don't know some of the backstory here, but you see this man Mark who is mentioned who is Barnabas' cousin. Now Paul and Barnabas were ministry partners and they went off on a missionary journey together and they took with them Barnabas' cousin, Mark. Now Mark is the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He transcribed Peter's preaching and put it into a written form and and it became the Gospel of Mark. He's an important man in the early Christian church, but he, at the time that he went with Paul and Barnabas was not that mature in his faith. And as he went along on the trip, he wimped out. And when life got tough, He told Barnabas and Paul, guys, it's been nice and it's been fun, but it hadn't been that fun. I'm going home. And he left. And so it left Paul and Barnabas high and dry out on the road. And so when the time came for another trip, Barnabas says, you know, everybody needs a second chance. Everybody needs another shot. I want to take Mark along with me. And Paul said, nothing doing. That dude left us when we needed him most. I need a faithful man to go with me. And Barnabas said, no, you need to understand, Paul, he's a young guy. He needs to grow up some, but you know, we need to give him another chance. We need to give him another opportunity. And Paul said, no way, I'm not taking him. And these guys who had been close friends and ministry partners for a long time had a split in their friendships. And Barnabas took him off to Cyprus. And Paul took Silas and went back to the churches that he and Barnabas had planted. And there was a giant relational conflict between these guys. But later on in Paul's life, where do you find this man? Paul's in prison. And where's Mark? Right there with him serving as part of his ministry team and being a great encouragement to him. What's happened? Well, two things. One, the rift has been healed. And two, Mark has grown up. What's happened is that Christian community has transcended even personal conflict. And Christian community at its best does that. You know, I don't know if you if you noticed here recently, but there have been a few social media storms of recent, right? And people are being canceled. This is the current term, right? And they're losing friends and all this kind of thing. And and some people have referred to it as the great awakening, right? That everybody's getting trying to figure out you know how how to how to deal with life and how to reevaluate some things that we've taken kind of as assumptions in our culture and some of that by the way is good but one of the things that's true is that it is a situation in which there is no grace and if you have sinned you will never be forgiven but that is not how christian community is meant to operate Christian community is meant to be graceful and forgiving because God forgave the inexcusable and unforgivable in us. God forgives by grace the unforgivable in us. And we therefore are called to do the same thing with other people. And to allow the gospel to transcend even personal conflicts, even sins against us that are serious and severe. Christian community strives for fellowship that transcends circumstances and racial and ethnic and other divides and even old wounds and conflict. Amen? Amen. Uh, Christian community also includes... Prayerful, hardworking leaders. Now I don't claim to be as good a pastor as this guy, but I like him a whole bunch. His name is Epaphras. Do you see him? He is the prayerful, hardworking leader of the Colossian church in verses twelve and thirteen. He's probably the founder of the, of the church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea and the church at Hierapolis. I talk about busy. This guy is like a one a one-armed wallpaper hanger. This is busy. He is a busy, busy guy. And he's been busy about the things of God and he is prayerful. And he has worked hard for them. And his goal, the goal of his ministry is that the Colossians might stand mature And fully assured in the will of God. Epaphras is everything that a pastor or an elder should be. And he has a pastor's heart. His goal is not glory. It's the maturity of his people. It's that they would all grow up and know and live out God's will for them. Now again, men and women, I don't claim to be as good a man as this guy (laughs) But what I can tell you is this, that my sole goal for ministry among you over the last 13 years has been this. For all of us, most certainly including me, to grow up to maturity in Christ. And to be fully assured in the will of God. And, and I am also constantly struggling on your behalf in prayer. And I therefore work hard and have worked hard in ministry and prayer for you just like this. Because it is essential that you and our church be led by these kinds of people. And men and women, we again, are we're not perfect men. Those of us who are leaders and elders in this church. But this is what we're striving for. And we need your help to get there. Because we're in the process of growing up too. But I do think, by the way, that we are getting there as a church. That we are growing to maturity. And it is a great thing. In fact, it's a joyful thing. It is the thing that excites me most about our church is to see your advance in maturity and faith. We got some ways to go, but we're getting there, and it's good. There's also in verses fourteen to sixteen, warm encouragement. Now, this is another essential ingredient to the fully Christian in community: warm encouragement. Uh, verses fourteen to sixteen. There's love, and there's greetings, and there's relationship all through these, and there's also encouragement. Hey, read this letter. And also, read the one I sent to the church at Laodicea. And make sure they read the one that I sent you. What's the purpose of all that? It's encouragement and it is instruction along the way. Because all of us need both of those things. We need instruction and we need encouragement and we need it in the context of warm-hearted relationship with other people. And so that's what Paul puts on display for us. It's what Paul and his followers lavish on these people. It's what we strive as a community to lavish on one another. Warm encouragement and growth. And then finally, verses 17 and 18, there's graceful exhortation. On the one hand, this is not Paul laying down the law and ordering them around. Uh, it's why he blesses them. The last thing he says to them, would you see it? Grace be with you. At the heart of everything Paul does is this is that word, grace. Those five letters, I think are the the best word in all of English. Grace, patience, kindness, gentleness. With everyone grace, but alongside God's grace, there's also exhortation, because we need, as a Christian as Christian people, not just an arm around us, but sometimes an elbow in the ribs, to do what we are supposed to do. I see you out there, some of you, husbands and wives, when I get to a, a passage you think applies to your spouse. You know, I see that happen. Uh, And we need that from time to time. We need people in our lives who are willing to give us that elbow. And Paul gives the elbow to a couple of people here at the end of the letter. He says to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. Why does Archippus need that? Because apparently he has not been fulfilling the ministry he received. He's slacking off. Not doing his job. Not doing what God had called him to do. So Paul says, hey, see to it that you do this. There's exhortation there. And he also says says a word of exhortation to the church at Colossae. He says, remember my chains. What's he doing with that? He's saying, hey, y'all, don't forget to pray for me. Because, by the way, is is it tough sometimes to remember to pray for people in their circumstances, even if they're terrible circumstances, if you're not directly affected? It is. Sometimes, you know, if if you've got a situation in your life that's going on and it's very painful to you, it is not hard to remember to pray for that. And in fact, you want other people to pray for you, right? And you tell everybody you know, hey, pray for me. Uh, I just lost my job. Pray for me. I just got a diagnosis from my doctor. Pray for me. Um, I just lost my grandmother. Pray for me. You know, this is going on in my life. And then sometimes a couple of weeks go by and you haven't seen that person and to be honest, you haven't thought about them. because You're so self-consumed with your own life and your own needs and your own concerns and so forth and then you run into them and then you remember, oh, I wonder how that went. I was supposed to pray for them and I forgot. Right? Paul is exhorting them hey, I know you don't see me. I know you don't know what's going on in my life, but don't forget that I'm in prison over here. Pray for me. Remember, I'm in chains over here for the gospel. And I love you. Don't forget. Pray for me. And so there's this graceful exhortation. Brotherly elbow in the ribs, if you will. To get our attention. And healthy Christian community includes both encouragement and exhortation. So, let me close by exhorting and encouraging all of us to all of these things. Because they're all essentials. In the Christian community, these are all things that are important, that are critical if we're going to grow up into the kind of community that God wants us to be. We have to have love and humble service. We have to have a new birth taking place in people that we have shared the gospel with and see their transformation. We need that. We have to have transcendent fellowship, the kind that transcends racial and ethnic lines and and conflicts and difficulties relationally, and that even transcends the circumstances that we're in. We have to have prayerful, hardworking leaders. We have to have warm encouragement, and we have to have graceful exhortation from time to time. We've got to strive for these things. And by the way, none of these things are easy and none of them will come just, you know, kind of automatically just because we showed up. We're going to have to set them as goals and do some things that are in some cases really hard. Is it easy to be gracious and kind and extend forgiveness to somebody who's hurt you? Not really. In fact, it's supernatural to be able to do that. Is it easy to work hard? No. Is it easy to be prayerful? No. Is it easy to be encouraging? No. Is it easy to know when you need to encourage and when you need to exhort? No. Is it easy for our fellowship to transcend all the divisions that we have? No. These things are going to require the Holy Spirit of God to be at work in us and among us. And they're going to require not only the calling of God and the example from the Word of God, but they're going to require effort on our part. And so, beloved, I want to pray and I want to ask God, the Holy Spirit to help us to continue to strive for these things, to continue to work toward these things, to continue to push out into our community. I know that right now at a time when everybody is concerned about all the possible ramifications of all that's going on, that it's hard to lift our eyes from that stuff and to push out into our community that draw other people into. it, But nevertheless, that's what we need to do. That we might become the kind of community that the book of Colossians gives us as an example. A real godly community. Community that's fully Christian in every sense. And in every way. So, let's pray. And let's ask for God's Spirit, God's Spirit to help. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You've given us Your Word. Even in verses that we tend to just blow right by, You have them here in this book for our instruction, for our example, to show us life that is really lived in community. Father, help us to become this kind of community even more than we already are. Help us, Father, to do what Paul said to another church, to excel still more in these things. Father, we are are not starting from zero on any of this. This is something that is part of who we are. But Father, we want to get all the way to maturity. We want to get all the way to deep and rich and thick and beautiful Christ-honoring, Jesus-exalting, transcendent community. The kind that tells a watching world, I don't know what's up with those people, but obviously they're Christians because they love one another and they draw other people into relationships of love with one another. And look at how they love Jesus. Father, help us to get there. Help us to move that direction. We pray. And we ask for your Holy Spirit's empowerment without which we will surely fail. Amen.